Hey, Andrew here with a quick note for kick things off. So this episode is one that I recorded in April of this year. The end of the year here, wanted to take just a couple of weeks off and also bring you a couple episodes I had a lot of fun with in 2018. So doing this one with Jake Cook on hiring fresh, great, and a little bit green marketing talent, how to bring those people into your organization. Next week, I'll be talking about building a, how to really invest in relationships and, and use those to grow your business. And I'll be back January with fresh content going forward as per the norm. Until then, I hope you have a very happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping high six and seven figure entrepreneurs build amazing online companies and incredible lives. I'm your host and fellow e-commerce entrepreneur, Andrew Uderian. Welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast. I'm Andrew. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. And today, uh, actually kicking off what I should start calling the Bozeman Bourbon Series, <laughs> because we're back in my office here in Bozeman and have a couple glasses of bourbon. And I'm joined by Mr. Jake Cook, who I had the chance to get to know oh, probably in the last, what, three, four months? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a, a common friend introduce us. And it's been really fun getting to know you. I wish we could have gotten connected sooner. Likewise. Jake is a professor up at Montana State University here in Bozeman, my alma mater. I'm surprised they let you come talk to me. <laughs> and he also runs a digital agents, a digital marketing, and a software company called Tadpole, tadpole.com, where they do the software side. They have a really cool piece of software that we'll talk about it a little bit later, but does really, really cool reporting and kind of analytics and attribution models for for companies in the 10 to 20 million dollar range specifically. Uh, And on the services side, they've worked with a ton of really cool brands, everyone from Donors Choose to Jackson Hole Resort, Mystery Ranch, Outdoor Research. And so just a smart, fun guy uh, that I'm excited (laughs) to talk to. So Jake, welcome, man. Thank you. Longtime listeners. Feel quite honored uh, to be here. Yeah. Before we dive in, Wanted to say a quick thank you to our two sponsors for the show. First off, Liquid Web. If you're on WooCommerce and you haven't heard these guys, you should check them out. These guys know WordPress and WooCommerce better than just about anyone else. A couple of big reasons why you should think about using them. One, really elastic solution. They handle traffic surges incredibly well. They have a whole suite of tools that can help you stress test your store and their customer service and their technical team is world-class. So if you're on WooCommerce or if you're looking to get on WooCommerce, check them out, Liquid Web. You can learn more about them at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Liquid Web. And then secondly, Clavio.com, longtime sponsor and supporter of e-commerce fuel. They are world-class e-commerce email marketing. So their superpower is segmentation. So we were talking about this, Jake, like just the power of being able to know what specific customers do. And you can automate this with Clavio. You can set up custom segments for people that that buy a lot, that haven't bought anything, that have only bought certain products and follow up with very customized emails. So if you want to up your email marketing game for e-commerce, and you're not using them, check them out. You can get started with a free trial at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. Jake, I was thinking about where to kick off the discussion with you today. And I don't know why this stuck out at me, but you mentioned, I think it was even one of your bios, you've been teaching at MSU since 2007. Yes. And you mentioned that like that first year, that was when the iPhone came out, which is, that just seems crazy. I'm right? an old man, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I remember, it, I remember it super vividly too. And you said you did a tech adoption case study for it. And I want to share some of my thoughts from back then, but I'd love to hear, what did you say to the class back then? Like, what was the conversation like with, it'll be interesting, of course, given that, you know, we, we have the hindsight now, but 
was it, this is amazing. This is going to flop. Was it, what was the, what did, what was the case study? What were the thoughts back then? So one of my favorite books is a book called Diffusion of Innovations by a guy named Everett Rogers. And he studied why people adopt technology. And another book that came after that was called Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, which is in the tech space and how people look at things. So at the time, I remember, you know, I remember my first jobs when I got to borrow my boss's BlackBerry because I had to go somewhere and I could, I could do email, you know, and that was like a big deal. And that was the Palm, I think Palm Trio came after that, which was kind of this other thing. And so when iPhone came out, I think for me, I think I had a flip phone at the time. The idea of using your fingers to interact with an interface just seemed like so clunky, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I don't think I quite grasped the idea of like what the that it was a device, but the, the way you'd interact with it was just so different. And so it's just fascinating to watch. I think you know when Jobs introduced it as as a storytelling and a product debut, it's become kind of the, the model of how you like roll out a product. And so that was kind of fun to watch on somebody get on stage and really sell a vision. So when you were in front of your class, did you make any bold statements like this is this is just gonna this is gonna I mean you're, you're, obviously it's not gonna do well for X Y and Z or it's gonna do incredibly well or or did you have to eat any words or did you look brilliant to your students at all? <laughs> I don't think I've ever looked brilliant to my students to be clear, <laughs> but I try not to be. I remember when Steve Ballmer, you know, that this he was the CEO of, uh-huh. at uh, Microsoft at the time and just completely lambasted it and said who would pay five hundred bucks or whatever for a phone and. I thought, yeah, yeah. when the adoption curves, we were looking like, who will buy this? And it will be, you know, a very small segment initially. We'll try it. And then how fast will it get to, um, you know, I think it was 16% of the market and then 34% is kind of the early majority and these different segments. And so we were wondering, we were kind of curious, like how long will they get to like kind of the, we always joke and call them kind of the freaks and the geeks, the ones that are going to try it, but then necessarily loyal. So that was always the big question that whole semester was, you know, how's it going to do and things like that. So I, I remember it came out yeah. and I was... I was wrapping up my time kind of in the finance world and I came out and I just was, in fact, it was a phone. And I think the, the thing that sh- blew me away was just, it was a full web browser experience in your pocket. Yeah. That's what I thought was That cool. was amazing. And I remember the, the local paper in Great Falls, Montana, where I was working, I had friends that worked there and they, they knew I was excited about it. So they asked me for a quote. And I think I gave some quote, like it was a mouthwatering device. <laughs> and my boss <laughs> at my investment bank came in, in the morning holding the paper and he said, why, why do you talk to the paper? If you're going to talk to the paper, oh, do no. not tell them you work for us. Do not tell them you're employed here. Mouthwatering device. Are you, and he just stormed out. So, He's not an early adopter then. So, he right? was not an early not adopter. Not an innovative. No, yeah, exactly. No, so. uh, he, didn't, he did not appreciate the, the, fa- the assets of it or the facets of it that I did. You know, you, you of course, you, you teach digital marketing today at MSU. And one thing I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on is, you know, you... I go walk on campus sometimes and I feel like I'm 22, like I'm 25 and I'm 35. I know that when I'm walking, when actual students walk by, I'm that creepy old guy on campus, right? <laughs> They're like, who's this guy? He's not a professor. What's he doing here? And what I'm getting at is I have no idea how this huge segment of the population, you know, millennials, college age students, people in their early twenties are consuming content, how they're, how they're shopping, how they're living. And so I would love to get your thoughts Maybe just just maybe start with millennials. They get a bad reputation, right? Like yeah. kind of like very self-absorbed, very fragile. Don't understand really what it takes to get stuff done. And and granted, obviously you're in a little tough situation. You're going on the record here publicly as, as a <laughs> professor. But wh- like, do you 
do they deserve more credit than they get? Are phones really killing all their abilities and social skills? Or do you think it's a, an unfair stereotype as someone who gets to see this demographic, you know, interact with them quite a bit? That's a great question. They're definitely aware that they've, this label has been applied to them and they kind of have a chip on their shoulder as a result. I would say they have a, a much bigger picture or a perspective on things like the environment. Like that's a big deal to them. Sustainability, that really matters when they look at brands or some sort of a, a give back. So brands like Tom's are really, that really resonates. Do you think that's millennials only in Bozeman or millennials broadly? And I, yeah, I work, prim- I mean, well, I have students that kind of, we have a lot of, you know, kids from Montana, but we also have a lot of international students that will, do, that will come. And then a lot of kids from the East coast come to Bozeman because we got great skiing and it's a great engineering school and business school. So that's, yeah. So there's a good, I guess, cross smattering of it, but I would say, yeah, that, that's huge. But as a quick story, and this was, Scott, this was probably like five years ago, speaking of when the iPhone debuted, I had a student and he never owned a laptop because the, de- the iPhone debuted when he was 14. So he grew up with this form factor in his pocket and he went his entire college career doing everything in the cloud through Google Docs and typed all his papers on his phone, on his iPhone and didn't own a laptop. And it just blew my mind that there's already that kind of user behavior. They don't remember, a t- you know, there's always that, you remember like, when every time school starts up, it's like these, this freshman class, you know, didn't know this and didn't know that. And I'm always making like movie reference jokes and like they fall completely <laughs> flat because nobody has any debt. Nobody's seen the big Lebowski or anything like that. So I'm that old out of date professor, but I, th- I mean, they don't remember a time when they couldn't answer a question for the, with a po- you know, with something in their pocket when they had all their music streaming anywhere they wanted, you know, and I remember my grandma had eight tracks, you know, and cassettes and I remember CDs and all this stuff. So it's a, yeah, the way they consume and interact with stuff. Yeah. And at Tadpole at our company, I, the, you know, we've got some fantastic folks and they can just pick up technology really, really quickly versus we've had other, you know, other people you work with, either clients or uh, partners that can struggle a little bit on just interfaces and under, they, they can just intuitively look at an, a, a SaaS app and they figure out how to work with it really quick. Let me ask maybe a question that's not targeted so much at millennials, but maybe adoption and the increasing prevalence of just phones in our lives are everywhere. You've had a decent amount of time, not right with the iPhone launch, but you know, or over a good period of time close to it, to see what students were like back then and what they are today. Do you feel and maybe that's hard, maybe that's hard to be able to judge because it's so incremental to see, but do you see a difference in students from pre I you know, pre-smartphone to today, both in terms of maybe social skills, but also in terms of just general abilities in the classroom? Yeah, I would say sometimes the math skills, because I really try and teach digital marketing analytics, a data, a user centric, think about your user first, and then put a hypothesis down and then go test it off data. And when we get to the part in the course where we talk about profitability, so if we're going to sell something online for, you know, keep the math easy, hundred bucks, what's our, you know, what's our profit margin? You know, how much it costs to produce this, you know, all these things. That is something, you know, because you need to know the profit to figure out your acquisition cost. And we're not, these are not sophisticated financial models, right? Very basic <laughs> things. And that's something I've, I've learned over time. I've had to spend like a full three hours on in, in the course to really go deep on it. The, like gross revenue, profit, all these things are things that, you know, unless we have, you know, finance students, they'll, they tend to kind of grasp that. But the marketing kids will definitely kind of, kind of I really hammer like, it's not about the creative's great, but the data drives a creative. And the user centricity will come from that. But if you can't look at analytics and infer things and ask questions and get answers out of data, nobody really cares in today's world. So the other thing I would say on the social skills, what's fascinating is they, they won't talk on the phone. 
So if you ask them to like call and do it, it's like, you just, you know, if you ask them, Hey, we'll just, you know, why don't you give them a call? And like, you just think they just, you just ask them to like, you know, run a four minute mile. It's like, that's impossible. <laughs> I couldn't do that. You know, I even feel as an old guy, I even feel a little bit of that. I won't answer the phone if I don't know who's calling. I never do. And I know when people randomly call you and I think that's maybe a generational thing too, or I've noticed uh, you know, folks that maybe baby boomers and stuff, they're, they're, they'll just pick up the phone randomly. But I like to know, like, oh, okay, I'm expecting your call at this time and I'll be in a good spot to catch it or whatever. So, yeah, I yeah. see a little bit of that. That's my claim to youth because I don't always, <laughs> I don't, I don't text 100% of the time, just 90%. Of yeah, the exactly. Time. Just 90%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about maybe looking at the same kind of that, that youthful segment through, through a marketer's eyes to, to reach them, to think about how to sell to them or, or to, to cater to, to the way that they shop? What kind of insights can you give us maybe into the habits, patterns, buying trends of people, you know, in their, their late teens, early twenties, are, are, are they, I mean, you mentioned the, the student who just went the whole, whole college career without a laptop doing everything on their phones. Are a lot of your students, and maybe you don't know this, but are they doing everything on their phones, buying everything, commerce, even those young millennials, people in the college today, are they still a lot of times discovering on mobile and then they'll have a laptop at home and they go and purchase that? Or do you have no idea? And that's because you're not stocking them at home. You're just teaching them in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is interesting is with Google Wallet and Apple Pay, you know, young folks will, not always, but a lot of times there are the new paradigm shifts on how you would do payments. The idea of getting a, you know, a card out and typing something in that doesn't, you know, they have a, you know, look at something and put your thumbprint on it and buy it. You know, as they have money, I think that's what's going to, you'll see commerce shift. So with our client work and in the analytics, you see a lot of cultivation around mobile and then purchasing happening on desktop by and large. What is interesting as these millennials have more buying power is how much that, that mobile experience and that, you know, payment system marrying together, I can see that being a big sonic boom coming, but you know. <laughs> yeah. It just seems see. like it's. You had Apple Pay come out. You've had Shopify, who powers not you know, most of the web, but especially in our smaller kind yeah. of e-commerce world, they power forty percent, close to half of the stores. They've they've done some cool stuff with being able to check out more quickly by you know being able to to type in a code on your mobile, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it hasn't seemed like it's taken off as quickly as you would have thought to enable. You you know you haven't seen those mobile conversion rates jump as quickly as you would have hoped with, you know, the fingerprint. And part of that maybe is you've got so many different things, Google wallet, Apple pay and things, but yeah. Any thoughts on why it hasn't taken off or do you think it's, it's the right place? We just need to wait and be a little more patient. I think we, I think there's some, which platform is it? Apple pay or Google wallet or whatever, whatever, who's going to own that. I'm sure, you know, comes like Amex and Visa one, obviously a, a, a say in that conversation. I think it's kind of like what we talked about a second ago with iPhone, you know, you know, there's a long time, like people were, you know, for a year or two, that paradigm shift of a touch interface versus they have actual physical keyboard on the device. So it might be one of those things where, you know, working its, through, its way through the technology adoption curve, once it goes, it'll tend to go, I think it'll go pretty quick. So when that adoption happens, I think it'll be, be pretty quick. And I think the other part on the other side, as so many stores have horrible mobile experiences and we know it's really important for SEO and all these types of things, but a lot of mobile experiences are really subpar, you know, it's getting better, but for a long time, it's been really bad. So I think as things speed up and pages load quick and you can navigate a site and put it in your cart and all that. I think it's, it's uh, and this is where I'm giving away my age, but I still like that desktop big monitor. I can kind of zoom in and zoom out. And 
I think there's gonna be a correlation to average order value and mobile conversions. So if it's not a lot of risk, it doesn't a lot low AOV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll buy it on my mobile. Cause who cares? And if I'm going to spend like 300 bucks on something like, Ooh, I want to see it. Up I want to see it. Yeah. I want to have this whole like, you know, experience of like checking it out and reading the product descriptions and the reviews and doing all the research. Then I gotta get by my CFO, my spouse, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, get the procurement done. And then, but yeah. So I think that'd be something to test is it does, Mobile by AOV go faster. The lower the AOV, the faster adoption on mobile payments. Interesting. I bet I bet you would see that. I would guess, but yeah. Yeah. You wrote this phenomenal post in the forums. We'll link up to it for members about how to hire entry-level great talent at the end, you know, kind of the, the, the entry-level for digital marketers. And you have this really cool position where you can get to know this group of students for a semester, uh, get to know them really well and be able to potentially, you know, huge information asymmetry, be able to cherry pick if you want some of the best students, which is pretty cool. Yes. So I guess before I, my long game here is to try to, to talk, talk through some of those points in that post, talk about how people can, can hire really great raw talent entry level. But do you hire a lot of students for your company Tadpole out of MSU? Yes. A good chunk of it has come. Gosh, uh, we had an intern start today, as a matter of fact, oh, cool. that was just my class last semester. It was her first day. So yeah, I've, I've been really fortunate to watch some just really sm- people are way smarter than me get into work alongside them. What's been really exciting is these, some of these students go on to New York and they work for some big, big digital agencies like RGA or Havas. A couple have gone to Google. Montana state is, you know, we're kind of out here, you know, <laughs> in the Northwest, but what I've noticed, and I've heard from my friends in New York that, you know, work at some of these bigger places, they love that the Montana kids have work ethic and they're humble. And so that seems to be something, for whatever reason, you know, people that go through MSU have that as a kind of a core trait. So yeah, I've seen that in spades. They say a lot of times, like they'll be in staff meetings and if they're stuck, they'll have interns from all over the country, different schools. The Montana kids will sit there and grind on the problem for two hours. And some of the other interns will just throw their hands up and be like, oh, I couldn't figure it out. Like, what have you been doing? Oh, I was checking out my Instagram feed. And they're like, well, what are your, what are your next steps? Oh, I thought you could tell me. So yeah, so I, I've appreciated getting to <laughs> cherry pick some of the ones that have that, that mindset. <laughs> That's pretty cool. For people who are not teaching digital marketing at universities, I can't leverage that. What do you look for? So you mentioned kind of a couple traits that you really look for in, in students that kind of have great raw material to be able to shape into digital markers or that know something about it and are ready to be nurtured up. What are those two traits that you really look for? I look for two things, two behaviors really. And I like to look for curiosity and then do they make things? Like what do they do in their free time? And it can be anything by the way. And some of the people I've been around in my career that are really fantastic that have worked at some of these companies like IDEO or Shopify and places like that, they make things on the side and weird things. My one friend wanted to himself, teach himself to paint and he realized he wasn't any good at painting. So he figured out how to write an algorithm to do a paint by number for lobsters. <laughs> and that was his vaca- summer vacation project. So yeah, so one of, we have a, a fantastic young engineer, computer science major, was randomly in a digital marketing class in the business school. And we would hang out after class for like 45 minutes every class period. And we would geek out about WordPress themes and what's, what's coming out with CSS3 and all these like things, you know, and I could follow 10% of the conversation, but he was always, and he had this idea, he wanted to build a whole set of brewer, uh, themes for breweries. Breweries are blowing up. Yeah, right. <laughs> the like, next, hey. Biggest bubble next to Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. 
and so yeah, so so have, seeing that ability to make things, um, you know, some of the camps we interviewed, this one was fantastic where she what caught my eye in, in class was she's you know we were working some group projects and you know we're chatting. Well, what do you do? I'm interested in social and followers and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, any examples? Or what do you like to work on? She's like, oh, my friend got a corgi puppy. Got, and I want to see if we could make this corgi puppy. Well, I have influence. no idea what that is. A corgi? They're like these little, I think they're like Welsh dogs. like little. Oh, short. it's a real puppy. It's a real dog. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like a small, gosh, it almost looks like a fox, I'd say. And so her friend got this corgi and she was living in Great Falls, which is, you know, three hours from Bozeman. And, uh, so remotely, they started putting all these posts together and she had all this creative stuff, like just like different filters and playing with all these types of things and got all this, got this whole huge following and they told the story through the perspective of the dog, of the puppy. And then they started direct messaging people and sent, and then she was sending like direct mail just to see, hey, you know, as a corgi sending a direct mail piece to a fan. And I was like, well, why did you do that? You know, who has time as a college student? She's like, oh, I just was really curious to see how it worked. And I was like, that that's when the alarm bells went off in my head. It's like, Ooh, interesting. Cause if you're doing that on your nights and weekends, you're probably going to be well to figure out the next, you know, big wave or the next way to unlock some cool little campaign or growth. Cause you're just tinkering. So yeah. Cool. So curiosity. And what was the other one? Making or just building Make things. curiosity and prototyping maybe is be a better way to say it. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, once you find them, how do you convince them to come and work for your agency? You know, most Especially people, if you've if if you've already identified the top people, they probably are hustling on their own. They probably have some other opportunities. So, how do you sell them on your business? Great question. One of our our very first employees, she'd worked at Boeing the summer before, and so she took a huge gamble by turning down a chance at Boeing. So, I always felt a huge responsibility to honor that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure on some days she was wondering, God, what was I thinking? So to try and convince them, I think we try and say, you know, if you want to just go push Facebook ads and not, not to throw shade on anybody, you know, or people that, but do you want to look at like really interesting, challenging things like, you know, the user journey to purchase, they Google something and then they, you know, you retarget them on Facebook and then you got a, a an email opt-in. And then how did you nurture them through an, a welcome series on email? And you want to know like what worked and does that work for this cohort of customer? If that kind of like problem from a marketing perspective gets you excited, then they seem to be that then there's probably some opportunities to, to do that. And then the next generation of what happens when you can do some predictive marketing and predictive analytics to serve a better experience back to that customer. If those types of problems get them excited, then they tend to want to want to come. But I will say like a lot of people, I get emails almost three or four times a week saying, Hey, we got this opportunity. We want, you know, we wanted an intern to do social media. And that's what people want to hire junior talent to come in and run social media. And, yeah, they can totally run Instagram and Facebook, but if you're looking for sales or you're looking for results, you know, there's a little bit more nuance to that. And so the challenge has to be kind of appealing. The good ones want the challenge. The ones that just want a job. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll take a vague description. How much, and this may be jumping ahead a little bit, but getting really good people, you have to, most people that are either really talented or really skilled in something, they, they want to work on something interesting, interesting, fun, hard problems, but they also they can probably command a competitive salary. Yes. But on the flip side of that, you're coming out of school. You don't, I mean, even, even the best people coming out of school still probably don't know what they don't know. You know, it's, it's, you're so young. So where, when you're thinking about compensating someone like that, like, can you take the stance of, as long as I sell myself and get them great opportunity, I can just pay market rates. I don't have to pay a ton. Do you have to pay up for great talent even out of school? What's the mindset there without 
for, for someone to think about when they're thinking about, you know, bringing someone in, in, in from an intern, maybe even all the way up to just a full-time hire? Well, you know, a lot of agencies, and this has changed a little bit last few years, but a lot of agencies don't pay interns. There's, it's, you know, you, you know, you get the anointed, <laughs> you're anointed to come here and work for free, which I, I just disagree with. You get free for exposure. Yeah. 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 We'll help you build your portfolio. <laughs> put this on your LinkedIn profile. So yeah, we, we, we're really, maybe I could walk through kind of how we onboard or how we, how we hire a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we do some just casual interviews. I kind of know who I think might be a fit culturally. And I should just pause right now and talk about culture. And that's kind of a cliche thing. But as I get older, I'm realizing how critical that is as we're trying to build our team. That culture piece is really so important. And young people, they want autonomy. They want a kind of mastery. But they want to like go to work and feel like they're working around like something that matters. It matters a lot to millennials and to all of us to some degree, for sure. And so the more that you, know, you can kind of tie what they're doing, say, hey, you're, you're going to run our Facebook feed. Okay, great. No, no, you're the you're the voice of this. You, know, you you get to connect with our customers, and you can have conversations every day. So that's a critical part of the of a brand experience. You know, there's different ways you can say that. You know, versus just updating Facebook. So if you give them something that re- that really matters, and they feel like they're working with people, and the culture is there to support them, because one thing, like all of us coming out of school, there's just so much you don't. <laughs> the soft skills, and man thousand pardons to my former bosses. Cause I was not, not a great first, first couple of years. Like, Oh dear. Can we take, can we take a quick aside here? And given the fact that we're bringing bourbon, we're more likely to talk about this. <laughs> Each share one to two of the most painful things that in retrospect, looking back that we did in our first jobs. Oh yeah. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can take the whole podcast and talk about dumb things. I awesome. did. If you kick us uh, off, I'll go after okay. you. Okay. I worked for a very, very brilliant patient entre- entrepreneur. We did pharmaceutical software. And I had a, like an identity crisis because I got so bad at forgetting things. Like we would go to New York and I, we would have a big, big trade show at the Javits Center, right? And we would get clear across town and I'd forget the extension cord for, you know, or the, the plug-in cord from the laptop to the projector to show the software demo. And then I'd be racing across, you know, midtown Manhattan in a cab. And then I would do it when we go to LA. And I remember just being like, come on, cook, you really got to sit down and pull it together. Like, and he wrote me this one day, I wrote this kind of email, like, all right, <laughs> you know, once is okay. Twice. All right, cook, what's going on? So yeah, I was always, yeah, I really <laughs> was really bad about that. So yeah, that was, I screwed that up pretty bad. Oh man. I remember a couple of things. I remember when I was first starting, I, I have a very, like I'm very detail oriented and I like to be exact, mm-hmm. but sometimes that can get me in trouble because like the first probably two months, three months on my job. My associate, I was an analyst, a lowly analyst, and the guy right above me, he'd give me an assignment and he'd say, you know, do this and then come back. And I, it, was, it wasn't that basic of, of a, you know, of an assignment, but I would think of all these implications and how if you didn't average this, these would happen and what happens of this. And I would think of way too many second and third and fourth order consequences. And I would go to him with questions every 30, 40 minutes. And in my mind, he would, he, a lot of times he would sit there and he would know I was in the room. <laughs> pretend to ignore But he would pretend I was not there. <laughs> yeah. And it would take him sometimes 45 seconds, a minute to turn around. And I was like, what a jerk. I am just trying to do a great job here. And he won't even talk to me. And then looking back with years of perspective, I can realize I was an enormous pain and should have just taken some you know, proactive liberties. I remember another time we had a pitch and we were rolling up to, we were pitching this company, rolling up this beautiful seaside villa. And there's these huge windows looking out over, over the, the ocean and also where we're pulling up. And 
I realized kind of with, with horror that the pitch books we were going to give them were all in my bag packed in with my underwear. And so I had to like <laughs> get out of the car, undo it. You know, there's like all my skivvies and my socks and I'm pulling out pitch books and the whole board of this public company is looking down on us. It was, yeah. So some of the stuff that I think about, it's pretty grimace worthy. So. It's, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, I look back on some of those lessons and some of the things my bosses were trying to teach me, which I was like, oh, like this is so, you know, why are we wasting, why is this important as a skill to master? And I look back on it now and how to run a meeting, how to send an invite to a meeting, an agenda. I mean, how to how to coordinate an event or, you know, do all these little, these little skills or how just to be organized, how to plan your day. And so one thing is I've, I realized is like, as we bring people on, like we have to always try and sit down and like, walk me through your system of how you do stuff. Do you do it on a, and and they're like, Oh, I, you know, no, no. I want to like physically observe how you do this. Do you put it in a post-it note? Now, where do you put that post-it note? Does that go in a Moleskine or do you put that on the side of your laptop? Do you use Google keep? Like, you know, what is that? And so, because I think like the more you understand that process, like that's how you can help those kind of your junior colleagues get up to speed a little bit quicker. Yeah. Another thing too that I don't know why this sticks out to me, but but just just owning problems. Like I remember multiple times as an analyst when things went wrong, I'd try to you know I, I'd be like I remember one time I was driving my my managing director like my you know, boss two or three levels up somewhere, totally got lost and like I can't remember if it was the map. I was trying to to blame the map quest. I mean, this is, this is how old I am, right? Like we didn't have iPhones. Print print everything (laughs) off. Right. Yeah. But anyway, I was, you know, we got lost somewhere and I was, you know, I had trying to, and my boss was like, dude, you just need to like this. You need to own this. Like you need to make sure we get to the right place. And then another time too, where I went to a meeting and, and I pulled out pitch books and gave them to the client and only after 40 minutes, and this is another, like a CFO of a public company is like, oh, hey, by the way, thanks for coming. Could I get a, a copy of that pitch book that wasn't marked up with your notes and I'd given them the wrong. Anyway, <laughs> the bottom line is just that I would always, my first reaction as a really young person in, in, in the professional world was to make excuses because I thought that would protect me. When yeah. that's, that's not how it works. Like you get so much more respect and trust and confidence from your, from your superiors when you own it. And you just say, I totally botched that. I'm sorry. I'm going to make it better next time. But I didn't realize that. No. I, and I, that case in point, when I kept screwing things up and couldn't get my act in order, my boss wrote me this email. Is, is On that same trip, I had like got the wrong map, quiz directions. And he landed. <laughs> he took like an overseas flight, met me. And we we're going to like, we we're going to like Pfizer, I think, at their headquarters. It was a big deal, you know. And I got us lost in rural Connecticut in a rainstorm because I didn't have map quests. And he wrote me this email like, he did it in the, you know, but like we got back home and you know, two days later, I got this just scathing like list of screw this up and then this up and this up. And I wrote back and I remember just being like, man, I got nothing to say. Like I got, you're exactly right. And here's what I'll try and do different next time. So yeah, I think as as a young person coming out, you don't want anybody to feel like you don't know what you're doing. And the brutal secret is none of us really know what we're doing most days. Like, so, but as a young person, you think all these old people know what they're, they've got all figured out and they look like they're put together, but you know, we're all just kind of spinning plates a lot of days too. So (laughs) <laughs> at least you were, at least you owned it. You were ahead of me. Well, I, I'm sure I think there was probably some whining and consternation to my cube mate at the time. So, yeah. Okay. So enough for Andrew's and Jake's story right here. Sorry about that. <laughs> but getting back, one thing I want to ask you is, so jumping back into getting really good quality talent, unlike ourselves into your organization, <laughs> what, how do you test people can say, you can probably assume that most people coming in out of college don't have a lot of hard skills based on experience, maybe a little bit here and there, but not much. But how do you test somebody's aptitude and ability to really 
you know, scale those up quickly and develop those quickly versus someone who just maybe isn't cut out for that role. Do you have, do you have any kind of processes or trial runs or projects that you put potential hires through before you, you sign them on? Uh, this is, yeah, this is, hopefully this is helpful because this is a hack I stole from a company in Palo Alto called Medallia, which does customer experience software. And they, they have an incredible culture of people. One thing I learned was, you know, you go through interviews and people can snowball you. And that's a whole art and hiring, which I'm still trying to get better at. But you go through, so I would do, like, for example, I'll walk through the process. I'll do an interview and I'll kind of walk through it and I'll pass it over. And oftentimes if it's a student I know, I won't even, I'll just introduce them to our head of services. And I'll say, hey, Hannah, Hannah runs all our service division. Go ahead. Here's somebody you might think is interesting that could, you could grow and help you join your team. Roll with it. And so Hannah will do an interview with like somebody else we'll kind of put together, like, what are we looking for? Kind of like a, a scorecard or something like that, sometimes in advance. We'll see how they go and if that they progress. And I, I let the candidate know up front, like, this will be really painful and laborious, so just bear with us. But it's really important that it's a good fit for you and it's a good fit for us, even as an intern, because I don't want to waste your time. And I want, you know, if, if I can help you get to a better opportunity, I'll definitely do that if it's not a tadpole or whatever. So if, if they kind of progress through these things, everybody's like, yep, yeah, feel like they're they're coachable, they're, they're curious, they're humble, they're not a know-it-all. They'd work well in teams. Then from there, what we'll do is I give them a challenge. So it's almost like similar to what I'll do like for a final exam in class. Like, okay, Google Merchandise Store. You can set up a demo account in there in Google Analytics. So you can get a full e-com store. And I was like, hey, let's. what if you had to grow average order value by 30%? Walk us, I'll give kind of a vague thing. Like, here's the business goal. Similar to you know what you might be trying to do with your own store or for a you know, client or whatever. And then we'll have them go through and put together a deck or a presentation. And part of that is I make them use Google Data Studio. because so I want to see, can they ask questions of data and then visualize it? And if they can put together a dashboard that gets at some of these performance indicators and backs up some of their thoughts with data, and they'll come in, they'll present to the entire company. So I'm looking, I'm looking for analytical skills. I'm looking for a little creativity. And I'm also looking for the soft skills. Can they put together a deck and a logic and I can flow and they, we can all follow it? And then how do they present? So even our engineers, we've had them, we'll give them a challenge. We'll give them a, a JSON array out of the Shopify store. Like, all right, parse through this, tell us how the store, then give me a dashboard. Imagine I'm the CEO of this fictitious watch company. Help me visualize the data and how to use that. And so that's worked really well for us. Really, really well for the most part. And do you, when you, when you assign those, do you, do you pay them for that? How long do those take? Is this like a, a two or three hour? It sounds like it's more than two or three hours. Is it, is it kind of a short term contract project? How do you make that? How do you think about that? I, it's a great question. So I do say like, this isn't a paid gig, you know, like this is, there's some with higher, you know, all sorts of crazy things with contracts and stuff like that. So I'll say, Hey, you know, if you're interested, this is, this is the process at the outset. This is how we go through it. And if you advance through a couple of gates on the interview side, we'll do a challenge and we'll kind of go through it. And if you're open to that, you know, and it, you know, the fascinating thing, I'm always looking for the soft, the soft clues. So if they try and slap something together and if, I mean, you can tell right away. And I've always noticed from teaching the students that go out and like talk to 25 to 50 customers, potential customers for a marketing campaign, their stuff is just the qualitative research. They know their customers. You can't, you can't, you can't, catch them. They're just, they know it. Our customer would do this because, well, we noticed this behavior. This is the belief. This is the trend. And so that shows up again on these interviews. You can just see. And so they can, they can, they know conversion rates, you know, if, if SEO is up or down, they know all that stuff. And it comes through when you ask them questions, you're like, okay, sweet. I'm not going to have to, 
and nobody on this team doesn't have to spend a lot of time trying to make sure we've got someone here that can roll. So we're looking for that baseline. But then when they come in, there's obviously all sorts of stuff that they'll apply about a year to year and a half of pretty brutal learning curve. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you mentioned in your post um, in the forms, most people are kind of, you know, half drowning for the first six to nine, 12 months. Yeah. And that was totally me in my first job. Oh, we all I were, mean, I yeah. was just, hence the 45 minute on the dot regular question sessions with my boss. <laughs> I always used to go say, hey, quick question. And you could just hear <laughs> as my hot breath is cascading down my boss's neck, you could just see him just kind of like sigh and his shoulders would slump uh, and they'd slowly turn around in their chair. That, I should have done that. I should have got right up on his neck and breathed. I think I would have I spent less time sitting waiting hey, for him to question. acknowledge my presence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very fortunate to serve a really great group of people every day. And I love walking up the stairs. And I think for me as a leader, when you walk in, you're like, I'm going to work with some really smart people. A lot of them are going to teach me something today, which is really fun. I like that. And so how we get them to try and perform is we do open book management at the company. So Jack Stack wrote a book called Great Game of Business. Who another one called A Piece of the Action. I think it's with Bo Burlingham, the editor of Inc. Magazine. But basically the open book management is you treat business like a game. They have a whole bit company called the great game of business. But the idea is that you, you open up the, the playbook and the score. And I always treat it kind of like a game and say, okay, here's our, here's our gross rev. Here's our forecast. Here's our profitability. Here's our cost. Here's what taxes cost us this year. So you share, sorry to interrupt, but you share all of this with your hires, like the, the company financials full time, not interns. We, we won't, okay. but yeah, once you're a full-time employee, part of what we do is open book. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Because cool. if you're an employee and you might, you know, hear what a contract goes through, what the cost is like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, they're killing it. Oh my God. It's like, yeah, well, we paid. Jake has silver floors at home. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Reality is dented bamboo. <laughs> the idea there is, you know, taxes. They have no, it's funny because young people, you don't realize, I'm like, you know, we pay 35 to 38% in taxes as a primarily a, a SaaS service company. And we don't have a lot of hard assets to write off against anything like that, you know, capital expenses, things like that. So trying to teach them, my goal is when people come and work at Tadpole, when they leave, I want them to understand not just digital marketing and data and analytics, but also business. And I really want them to get that because if I can get them to think like a business person, entrepreneur, when I put them in front of a VP or a C-suite person as a junior person, you know, if you talk to a a C-suite person about profitability lowering costs, increasing sales, increasing customer lifetime value. If you talk those numbers, they will always look past your age. You'll always get some, a little bit of like, you'll get their attention a little, a little bit more, I found. So I try and, and do that. And I found the best way to do that is starting with our own company and explaining all the, the costs and stuff like that. That's cool. A couple more questions before we start wrapping up. But you mentioned empathy, yes. you know, empathy for a project manager. But And I noticed that you know, kind of in, in prepping for this on your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned the word empathy like numerous times in relation to marketing. And I've always thought empathy is one of the best secret weapons that all really amazing marketers have because really good marketers, in my opinion, not paid per se, because if you want to pay traffic, you just, you just pay, pay to play. But if you're trying to connect with people, if you're trying to market on a, on a human basis or, or with companies or just other stakeholders, there's no better way to be able to do that to understand where someone's at, what's bothering them, what they need, and how you can help them either get to where they want to go or solve that problem. And if you can take that mindset, your marketing becomes so much more effective. And so I don't know. I thought it was cool that you you mentioned that too. And I'd love to. Is that is that something you think about, or is that a, a sentiment you share? 
Yeah, I've just kind of become obsessed with it over the years as I realized the power of it. Because if you look at, you know, when Larry and Sergey did their initial public offering letter, they talked about our number one guiding principle at Google is serving users. And I think about some people want to figure out some sort of way to game a, you know, an algorithm and you know, do some black hat techniques to gain it or whatever. And it's like, man, what if you just spent, you know, called your 10 best customers and spent an hour talking to them? You know, and Bezos, I think at Amazon, you know, it, it's a whole other conversation probably, but he does it well, I think. I think that, yeah, they're, you know, and I think what's fascinating about Bezos is, you know, he starts with what's, what's going to be true in 10 years. What will a customer want in 10 years? Not what do I want? What does Amazon want? What's a customer want in 10 years? Would they want, you know, more expensive products? No. Slower <laughs> shipping times? No. Yeah. A convoluted experience across devices? No. And so when Amazon, I mean, that's how they, they navigate Amazon off that kind of piece of it. And so I think our, our best people kind of have three things. You know, they have empathy, they can execute, and then they try and do that with excellence. We try and talk about those three E's. Like, you know, so that empathy piece is huge. And a lot of times when you're dealing with people internally, externally, whatever, I always try and we try and talk a lot about like, we all have our, our day, our bad days or whatever, but it's like, well, what's, what's that director optimizing for? What's his variable that he's optimizing around? And we'll ask that question. What's he optimizing for? It's like, oh, you know, it could be, you know, she might be, you know, under trying to get a promotion and she's really worried about this campaign performing well, or they're trying to get a bunch of data. To, they're trying to understand this data before they make this huge investment in inventory. And so that, that stopping and pausing or even asking like, Hey, you know, what, what, I'm just curious, what are your goals? That's one of the most, I always like, Hey, what are your goals? Or what do you, what do you really, uh, is there anything we can do to help you achieve some things? Tab will help you get that next promotion or raise. If you shut up and listen at that point, it's amazing what people will start to tell you. Yeah. And it's funny too, you hear like people aren't motivated solely by money, but then I think a lot of times we think, oh, we forget that. And we're like, ah, we'll just pay somebody more. But I mean, just reminded me today, I was sitting down with somebody and just talking about how, I mean, they're making really good money, but there are certain aspects in their working career where issues with people they work with, or they're not feeling challenged enough. And they're thinking about maybe making a shift for, you know, just the reasons that they want to be more challenged and more respected in the workplace. And like, that's, we, as a manager, like, I think it's, it's easy to, 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 to read the quotes and forget them, but they're super, they're super true. They're cliche for a reason. Cause they're, they're true. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think back to how do you get good talent, keep them retained and whatever. I think giving them that challenge, but also the empathy that comes with it, you know, of like, Hey, I know you're a year or two out of school. This probably seems a lot overwhelmed. There's, there's a lot of small you know, soft skills that you're still mastering. But I'm, I'm interested in you because I want to help you achieve these things. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to build a team that's going to support you. We I mean, always say like heroes don't scale. <laughs> that's a good quote. That's a really good quote. One last question for you. So you think, uh, thank you. You gave me the book, The Four by Scott Galloway. Fantastic read. It's really enjoyed read it. it. Yes. He's a he's really interesting, unique guy in our space. What was your biggest or most impactful takeaway from that book? And maybe before you answer, just as a quick, quick, Quick cue up. It's a book about Amazon, Facebook, Google, and uh, Apple, and really where we are in 2018 with in the tech landscape, especially given how much power th those four have, have accumulated. Can I spit it on you and ask you? I'd love to hear, spit it around and hear your take on what you thought was the biggest takeaway. Oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> I would say, I would say the biggest takeaway f for me was that, and I am politically, you know, probably pretty centrist maybe that's slight amount, lean slightly conservative, but, but fairly centrist. For me, the thing that it probably convinced me a lot of was that 
we are going to have some real issues going forward with wealth inequality in the future. Some of the stats he talks about with the amount of the amount of, of, of wealth and profitability that these four firms are able to generate with the size of their workforce is just phenomenal. And I think the quote that probably sums up the best I would say was, was, was one from the book where he says, it's never been easier to be a billionaire and it's never been harder to be a millionaire. That's a little hyperbolic, but the sentiment is that it's the, the rewards of mastering tech are just accumulating so disproportionately to, to people who know it. And on one hand, it's cool if you, if you know that stuff, but you think long-term, if you would have asked me 10 years ago if I thought there would ever you should ever have a basic universal income, I would have said that is the worst idea I could ever imagine. And I still think there's a lot of really big problems with that, a lot of moral hazard issues. But Bill DeLosangelo would love to jump in here and talk about his vision of the future where everyone's plugged into VR and drinking soil and a la Matrix style. But <laughs> I, I think we have to do something like, I think, I think it's going to be a big issue that's only going to get worse, especially for countries like America who... You know, we've kind of disproportionately enjoyed kind of this insulated standard of living for for a lot of our residents, even if they aren't crazy, you know, highly skilled. Yeah. So for me, that was the biggest takeaway. Yeah. I, I think this backlash you're seeing against tech where it was so cool and like mobile and social and what all and knitting the world together. And for, you know, probably a lot of folks that are listening, like myself, you know, it's let us have these incredible careers. You know, I grew up in a pretty blue collar background in rural Wyoming and I watched my my grandfather, my father do road construction, run a road construction company. And, you know, I didn't have, in an open cab in the wind and 30 below weather and with inflation rates at, in the twenties and they're borrowing ridiculous amounts of money to buy a piece of equipment to try as an asset to put to work. You know, and I whine about, I got a lot of email to answer to, you know? So, <laughs> so I think it's, it's enabled these incredible careers where, you know, you can run an, you can spin up an e-commerce store. And I think that's, what's kind of cool about this stuff is, you know, the technology no longer the barrier, you know, it's not, that's no longer the hindrance. What does that mean when, for all these other reasons, when we don't need, you know, when the robots deliver the packages and we don't need a FedEx driver, what does that, how does that person go home, put food on the table and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting future or, you know, there's lots of different ways it can, it can go. You hope for the best. I think for me, one of the big takeaways of the book was just, I was just, dumbfounded by Amazon and the first part of the book when he talks about just there's the vision of where they are and how far ahead they are. And we do this a lot with helping people with this, you know, we always say like what the software is they we're trying to give the same tools Amazon has on the data to the mid-market companies. So Amazon's had these tools for a long, long time. Let's try and disseminate those. That's kind of the vision is helping teams we're act on data, automate data so that the right things happen. Those things are surfaced, you know, so you can compete. Because the one thing Amazon can't do is build that empathy, that personal connection to you. And if we can use data to help you scale that, so you can scale that empathy, if you will, a little bit, which is a big challenge. But if we can kind of build those tools for small businesses, we think that's a huge, huge opportunity. One of our, one of our clients is in rural Arkansas and they're just great folks and you really fun, fun people to work with, but you go to the, you know, this town about an hour outside Little Rock. And I mean, it, it, this, this store is a big deal. I mean, it drives that local economy in a big, big way. And so you think about, wow, they're creating jobs and all these things that happen. And, you know, I kind of want players like that to win because yeah. if, if that all goes to Amazon, like this little, this, what would this do for a small community? 
Maybe on, on a, a flip side to my to my point on a slightly sunnier side. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I'm just gonna <laughs> drive off a cliff in their car as they wrap up this <laughs> podcast. I mean, on the flip side, one thing that is cool is if you are ambitious and you hustle and you're dedicated to excellence, and like the internet has, because everything location is so so much less of an issue than it used to be so many of the games do go to people. If you niche, if you can find a great niche and niche down and do really well and be world-class, even if it's a really obscure niche, you've got the ability to be able to create a life and a business and a career for yourself today in 2018 that rewards you in a way that you've never been able to before. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Pretty cool. It's really amazing. Yeah. And it's, you don't have the high priest of technology where you've got to spend ridiculous amounts of money to get on the field. I mean, it's, you can have a store up in an hour or two. I mean, that that's mind blowing. Cause when I started out, I remember uploading, you know, PHP files and all sorts to, to the server to, you know, and editing config files for WordPress. And in class, one of the, the midterm exam, we all built the site in WordPress. And in an hour, they've reserved a domain name and they have a WordPress site tipped up and they're learning beginning on page SEO. And I have to pause and they kind of roll their eyes. I'm like, you guys, isn't this amazing? And they're kind of like, so? Do but you, <laughs> you pull out your flip phone to like, to yeah. like really put an explanation point on, on what you're trying to say? I, I still have it. I got a file cabinet somewhere, so I should. You should start all your classes with your flip phone. Everybody phone got their phones. I want you to, yeah, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jake, can you talk a little bit about what you do at Tadpole? And you have a services side of the business and a, and a SaaS side, which we've kind of alluded to, but I'd love to, can you talk, kind of just give us an overview of, of the services you offer and the software you offer at Tadpole? Sure. So on the services side, we kind of see, you know, this path to purchase or user experience crossing across device and across channel. So we kind of help clients navigate that. So, you know, helping with SEO and then helping with social and retargeting, helping run things like Google shopping and then email. And a part of what we, we try and say is, you know, knowledge should be free. And so when we work with our clients, we have a, we hold a conference in New York in May, or excuse me, in June. And then we hold one here in Bozeman in October. We bring everybody together that are kind of in this similar vein. And it's, you know, what do you want to know? We do a survey. We put together a lot of tutorials and trainings. Hey, here's the tools we're using. You might like, here's an awesome Chrome plugin for keyword density on a page or whatever. So yeah, so we a lot of helping clients drive traffic through those four channels, helping their teams level up on the data and the analytics, and then, uh, and then teaching tactics and tools and things like that. On the software side, last two years, we've kind of silently been building the software tool in the background to manage and map a campaign and then figure out what's working. So you can kind of plan a campaign, strategize, assign people to do it so it gets done. And then looking at a channel, how channels are performing. And the big thing we stumbled across was operations. And what happens when you're you know, stockouts and inventory and all these things that as you grow become a, a big constraint, which a lot of times it's hard to do in small companies. So you know, we're out of stock, what we're surrounding ads on Facebook. We're paying for that traffic. Someone comes in, it's, you know, out of stock. What do we do? Like, how do we dynamically turn that off? Or how do we surface that? So software is called the Tadpole Pond. It's kind of a, a, a take on data lakes. We call it a data pond. And then we look at everything that sits in the pond as a lily pad. Apologies for the cheesy analogies. <laughs> I'll try to not rivet right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a rivet. That's what we call it. So when there's an alert, call that. But we were listening on the data when there's an anomaly, like you have a spike in 404s or your inventory is running low or your conversion rate dipped out of the blue. You know, we surface that and it's either a text or an email back to the right person. So if someone goes through checkout and gives you a one out of 10 for a net promoter score, you can catch that in the moment because you might have spent 10, 20 bucks acquiring that customer to come in 
And that should go right to the head of customer service and try and win that customer back. So very cool. And you also have a site on digitalmarketing.com where you write a lot about, you know, all things digital marketing, catalog, a lot of that stuff, as well as a, a textbook you're working on, the beginner's guide to digital marketing. Yes, there's a I kind of open sourced everything from class. It's been a fantastic experiment. I did it just to kind of learn yeah. and and play. And so I, I wrote it and open sourced it. And there's a second edition coming out that's kind of built around this. If you've seen a business model canvas from Lean Startup, it's a very similar type of thing, but for digital marketing. And so hopefully that'll come out later this spring or summer. Very cool. And this is Tad Pohl with a P-U-L-L dot com, right? Not, not P-O-L-L. Correct. And the poll stands for pull marketing instead of push marketing. So know your user, have empathy and pull them in. Awesome. Love it. So check them out, tadpull.com. Before we wrap up, if you're up for it, we'd love to do a quick lightning round with you. Absolutely. I'll All do right. my best. Awesome. I'll lob these in at you. If you had to identify the number one thing you're trying to optimize your life for right now, what would it be? Good food. Nice. Who's someone you strongly disagree with? That's a really good one. I would say probably strongly, leaving politics aside, I would say I probably strongly disagree with Peter Thiel. I don't think monopolies are the future. I think there's something in between. And just based on kind of our discussion today about hiring talent, what's your favorite or most telling interview question when hiring potential people out of college? What do you do for fun nights and weekends? And I will ask you off air what you were hoping to find out because so your students can't game you with you <laughs> answer this on the podcast. Not that I uh, think there's that many tuning into the ECF podcast. How much money is enough? What would be your number? So money in the bank where if you had that in the bank, you'd still do stuff for one, you'd still work for love, but you wouldn't feel like you had to if you didn't have to. So money in the bank that would generate a passive income stream, this will sound weird, at like three grand a month because I think constraints are opportunities. And so if you had to live on three grand a month, what would you do differently? Would you move to Vietnam? Would you move, you know, would you do something totally different? So I'd probably take a little bit different approach there. Like Interesting. Why I, this is interesting. Probably the episodes won't likely air this way, but I've asked that question and probably three out of four or four of the four last people I've talked to have said something similar, either Mr. Money Mustache or living on, you know, being really, really careful with what I spend. And I feel like there is, maybe it's just who I, you know, who I end up talking to, but I enjoy chatting with, but I feel like there's a somewhat of a shift, even for people who like yourself, you're a really smart guy, very successful business owner, <laughs> like thinking through how can I taking more of a mindset of you don't need a lot to be able to be happy in, in terms of perpetuity and, and enjoying life. Yeah. I think that idea of, of gratitude every day, especially if you, you know, if you're fortunate to live in a town like Bozeman with really fascinating, smart, interesting people and amazing views. I mean, we're sitting here looking at an incredible mountain range as the sun's setting on like snow-capped peaks. I guys should come over to your side of the couch there. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> quite the view here. So yeah, I think that gratitude piece is huge and, and keeping that in mind. So I always struggle a little bit like, you know, revenue things are ways to kind of, it's like a like piece, keeping a split in a race. So it's kind of fun to measure off that. But if you kind of put your self-worth around that, then you start to get in some like scary areas. So trying to be grateful. Back to good food. I find it's a really low investment that can provide a lot of enjoyment. <laughs> There's very few things that give me as much like visual, visual pleasure as I just, just get food when you're hungry. I just wish going to the gym was as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst investment you've made in the last 10 years? I bought a 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it a good investment? Wasn't a good investment. I didn't know 3D CAD. I didn't, I didn't know any of the architecture market, but I, I did a startup 10 years ago and bought a 3D printer wow. and put it in my garage. And I learned a lot about online marketing that way, which was a really good thing. But I think there's other assets to purchase that would provide the same learning experience. I'll let you redeem yourself here. What's the best investment outside of your business that you've made in the last 10 years? Uh, probably the time with my wife. Incredibly smart, kind, 
motivated person. So yeah, I would say I'm going to get spin with her and she'll put up with me, which is great. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks Lee. It's a good answer. And then finally, last question, what's the first CD you ever owned? We were talking about how old we are. Might as well this yeah. one. Oh, I remember it was crystal clear. Cause I grew up in a town where you couldn't buy a CD. It was so small. And so Nirvana, never mind. When we kind of knocked Michael Jackson off the charts, I mean, that was like a, a big, big deal. So yeah, I'm shocked. That's such a huge album. I'm, I can't believe we, I've never, that one has not come up yet in the lightning round from people, which is shocking. Do you know what's the, the most referenced album? I, it's been amazing. They've been all over the board. Everything from like Salt and Pepper to TLC to Nirvana. They've been everywhere. It seems like everyone has their, I think we need to do like a playlist of, of music off of people's first CDs. I think that'd be awesome. Around. I was going to say Dr. Dre. <laughs> yeah. The Chronic from Dr. Dre. I remember that was yep. a big one that came out around that time. So yeah. A lot of good ones. Talk about dating ourselves. Yeah. Well, let's let's just stop before we <laughs> people think we're 70. Jake, this has been fun, man. Love having you here. Hope we can hang out some more in the future. And thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for all you do for the community and putting together, you know, content like this for free. I know I've learned a lot at the gym, listening to the podcast and being inspired by other guests. So I feel deeply humbled to be here. So thank you. Dude, it's been great having you. And if you're at the gym, listening to this, I will definitely try to get that nineties playlist in there for you. Cause that would <laughs> be, that would make, yeah. that would be so much easier to run to than my, than my, no, voice, this is so. fantastic. So it's actually my motivation to go to the gym. I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> if I learned something that maybe I'll go to the treadmill. So thank you. Cool. Thanks man. Awesome. Cheers. If you're listening to this and you own your own e-commerce business, and chances are probably pretty good that you do if you've gotten this far through the episode, you need to check out our private community for store owners. It's a a vetted group of over a thousand store owners and experienced professionals. And the reason it's different is, is just like I mentioned, it's vetted. We go through and we require all new members have a seven-figure business. They actually have experience in the space. And we go through and we review all applications to make sure everyone's legit when they come in. And then once everyone gets inside, it's not a free-for-all. We, we moderate in ways where if people are being jerks or you know behaving inappropriately, we toss them out. If people come in and do nothing but ask questions, we toss them out. We really value experience. We value reciprocity. And it's a place where you're going to be able to connect with other store owners to learn what's working, but also make good friends. Like some of my best friends I have met through this community. And I know that others can say that as well. So if you're interested in learning more and applying for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And also, again, want to just say a big thank you to the two sponsors that make this show possible. First, to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. You can learn more about them and get started for free at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. And also to Liquid Web, who offers hands down the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store online with plans starting at just 39 bucks. So if you want to learn more about them and how they can supercharge your WooCommerce site, you can learn more at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Liquid Web. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, listening, really appreciate you and looking forward to catching you again next Friday. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.